Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 23. I'm going to read the passage so that God's word is purely and clearly heard without my words muddling it. And then I want to break into this passage. Hear the words of our sovereign king, his authoritative and good words. Let's read them together starting in verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men. For they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death. And a father his child. And his children will rise up against parents. And have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in, in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, <coughs> you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. John 15 18 through 20 says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were in the world, the world would love its own. But you are not of this world. But I chose you out of the world because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. 2 Timothy 3.12 also says, All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. History has proven these truths to be true. The price of truth has often been the price of blood. We all know the famous statement of Tertullian who said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And this we can see as a result of Stephen who was stoned to death in Acts 7 or James who was put to death with a sword in Acts 12 or James the brother of Jesus who was stoned to death. Peter, who according to church history, was crucified upside down. It's said of the apostles 
that the apostles suffered incredible persecution and died incredible deaths in the Christian cause. And the only possible explanation for their zeal was that they had actually walked with and eaten with the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. If Christ had not appeared to the apostles, would they all have died for a lie? The fact about persecution being part of the Christian life has always been evident. Polycarp, John Huss, William Tundale, Hugh Latimer, John Hooper, all men burned at the stake. Persecution is part of the church. It is only in our day and age where we've not experienced it in our society because God had so influenced the Western world with Christian values and an understanding of his supremacy over the world and an implementation of those Christian values into our constitutional system that we've experienced immense peace in the last 200 years where persecution hasn't been the way of life. But when we read our Bibles, whether we're looking at Matthew 24, 21 and following, or we're looking at the book of Revelation, we know how the story ends, do we not? Where there will be greater persecution than has ever been experienced in history. That's why they call it one day as the great what? Tribulation. There will be tribulation. People will attack the church. Romans 8, 17 says that the sons, that, that if we are sons of God and fellow heirs of Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. The part of Christianity is suffering. Part of Christianity is laying our lives down for the one who laid his life down for us. That's Christianity. J.C. Ryle said laughter, ridicule, opposition, and persecution are often the reward which follows, which Christ's followers get from the world. The fact that Christians will suffer has never been hidden. It's always been proclaimed. It's always been announced by God to his followers. And the passage before us is no different. And I want to bring this to us because I recognize the crazy day in which we live. And as Christians, for whatever reason, even though the Bible says it all the time, we're shocked. It just shows you the grace that we've had in these years. But those days are ending and we can all see it. We can all feel it. And Jesus Words to the apostles or the disciples before sending them out are a rich heritage to us. I'm bringing you right into the middle of his instruction. Now I recognize his instruction wasn't for us. His instruction was for the apostles. His instructions was for the apostles, disciples, however we want to say it. However, the principles set forth here I think are as rich today as they've ever been even when the day they were delivered. Now in this sermon it started in, in, with 
instructions of where they are to go and where they're not to go in verse 5. And then it goes how they're to minister, verses 7 and 8. And then in 8 to 15, he tells them how they're to behave when they're out there. And I'm taking you right into this message. And I want to show you what Jesus said the nature of their mission was to be. And how they were to respond. And I think there's tremendous insight and wisdom that we can gain from hearing this. And I'm really hoping it's very practical to you as you go out of these doors, face the world out there, and seek to make Christ known. You were saved to make Christ known. You were saved to proclaim the excellencies of our God. And our world needs to know that God reigns. Our God, our world needs to know that there's one who sits on the throne over this universe. And that when we bend the knee and let him reign, we find joy. That's what the world needs. And we must get the privilege of going out. But when you go out, you need to know some truths. Those truths are set forth right here before us. I want to show you five parts of this teaching. I'm going to deliver the first three quickly, the last one quickly, and we're going to hang out on the fourth one. All right? So don't, don't get antsy on me. We're going to go together. Stick with me. All right? How many parts? God, you guys are awesome. Five, and we're going to hang out in four. At four, I'm going to give you four of the five pieces of wisdom that Christ gives practical instruction. Let's look at the first part together. And forgive me, I didn't, I'm not going perfectly sequential, and I'm doing that to help us as the learner, okay? So forgive me for that, but you can figure it out. I know you can. First part is the condition of the mission. The condition of the mission. Look with me in verse 16. Are you ready? Are you ready? Woo! Come on. Here we go. Verse 16. Behold. And that's him getting attention. Behold. I am sending you out as what? Sheep in the midst of? Everybody say, woo! <laughs> sheep in the midst of wolves what in the world if you were there listening to this you would say whoa 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 what did he just say a sheep was the most dependent helpless and stupid of all domestic animals first of all you could be offended like he's calling me a sheep you know a wolf was the sheep's greatest enemy. And the nature of a wolf before sheep was to attack the sheep and mutilate it. Devour it into pieces. I was just preached this last weekend in Canada. And someone said, hey, my brother actually goes and hunts wolves. And he said, Shannon, you do not really, I mean, this is so true. He's saying, hey, you sheep right here, I'm going to send you out to what? 
to the wolves. Now, this is not something you go, yes, oh yeah, baby, let me go. And you go out and attack it. This is something you go, what? Uh, You're going to send me out into the wolves? This is something where you want to run away, not run toward. This isn't the place you want to go. But listen, my dear friends, this is the calling to which we've been called. It was then and it is now. This is the calling not just of the pastor, but all those who name the name of Jesus Christ. This is our calling. We are called to go into the hostile world of ungodly, sin-bound sinners. Men who hate the truth and love sin. And our job is to tell them they are sinners. And they're in rebellion against the king. They're doing what's right in their own eyes. And they are in rebellion against this king. And they must repent. That's the nature of our mission. It's never changed. It will never change. We're to remind the world that you can't do what's right in your own eyes. You must bend the knee to his majesty for your good. And joy. That's why Paul said in Romans 8.36. For your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep led to the slaughter. Dear friends we are powerless people. With a powerful message. And we are sustained by a powerful God. But we should never forget that we are going out into a hostile world of ruthless people. People who want to tear us to pieces. Sometimes I I think that we as believers were dumb. Like these sheep. We go out not really understanding how ruthless the world is. Not remembering that these are sinners. They don't think properly And as we approach the world, understand they love their sin and hate your master. Don't be lame. Don't be stupid in your thinking. Remember the nature of the mission. According to verse 17, they will hand you over to courts and scourge you in the synagogues. Every city had a judicial system. And so every city they would take anybody that was a problem, bring them to the judiciary that was right there in town. And as a result, they were scourged. Now that is not fun. Usually a scourging was a whipping, a flogging. Paul was whipped five times by 39 lashes. This doesn't make you say, yes, come on, let's go. This is all aimed at one thing, to silence you as the messenger. To intimidate you to behave. According to verse 18, 
you will be brought before the governors and kings. According to verse 21, brother will betray brother to death. Father is child. Children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And there's nothing more painful than being betrayed by your own family. By your own congregation. Hatred from the outside is understandable, but religious persecution from within, the body of Christ, is always the hardest one. When people want to go and be led by the world's values and their popped issues of this and that, and they turn around and they shoot at you, that's never fun. But the, according to verse 22, you will be hated by what? all. You'll be alone. You'll be alone because everyone around you will hate you because you represent someone they hate. Obviously this isn't referring to every single person but in a general way you will be alone against the populace. Dear friends, Christianity has not just been the good old days. It is now turning. The tide is turning. We all know in Canada, now you can get in trouble for conversion therapy. I'm told just this week as I was up there that they now bring litter boxes to schools in case someone wants to become an animal. No lie. You guys have gone weird. I live in Africa. I'm thinking, what's going on over here? We're building houses so that you can move. No, just kidding. But this whole issue of gay, lesbian, transgender, turning sexes, it's, 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 it's crazy. This is the world we live in. And, and, and they do not like us. And what's the cause of that persecution? That's the second part of this instruction. Second part is the cause of the persecution. The cause of the persecution. Look with me. According to Matthew 10, 18, he tells us the cause is for my sake. For my sake. Verse 22, because of my name. John MacArthur said, false religion reacts against believers because it is generated by Satan. Governments react against believers because they are under the control of the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of the world. We all know from Ephesians 6 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against rulers or against rulers or powers, but, it's a, uh, but against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's interesting, a few plane trips ago, I was on a plane and I was talking with a man who was coming to Christ. And he says, honestly, and I sat next to him, we began talking about the Lord. And he said, you know what? I've been living in the world and the world is so dark and so confused. It's made me turn around and say, you know what? There's got to be something more. 
Even the unbeliever recognizes the darkness and the need for truth outside of the propagation that's going on. But we need to understand that Jesus is our captain. He is our master. Satan hates our master. The world is Satan's followers. So the moment we join the army, brothers and sisters, the moment you are baptized, you join an army of believers who are for the king and his proclamation. At that moment, you awaken Satan's servants against yourself. That's why 1 Peter says that our adversary is the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The persecution we receive is therefore spoken of as the birth. And marks of Jesus, Galatians 6, 17. Christ's afflictions, Colossians 1, 24. Sharing in the fellowship of sufferings, being conformed to the image of his death, Philippians 3, 10. We do it, we are persecuted because they hate our master. And we represent our master. Amen. You say, Shannon, well, what's the purpose? Well, that brings us to the third part. The third part of instruction is the purpose of the persecution. The purpose of the persecution. Verse 18 brings out this purpose clearly. When he says, you will be dragged before the governors and the kings for my sake, for this purpose, look what it says. To bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So the apostles who were going out in the midst of wolves, they had one mission. The purpose behind their mission was to be a testimony to the Jews and the Gentiles. They were called to suffer for the sake of others. They were called to suffer for the sake of others. It's not about us. It's not about us. And the first thing that happens in this Christian war is you die. And you live for something beyond yourself. I was saying this morning that Satan attacks the leader so that the leader is consumed with himself. Oh, we don't ever go there because it's never about ourselves. If it was about us, we wouldn't be in this thing. It's about the proclamation of our master for the joy of humanity. It's for the Jews and the Gentiles to give testimony of his person. Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus didn't save everyone. He had a small group of people, but he laid the testimony of his father before the world. And as a result, years passed up to today, people were saved because of the life that Christ laid down for the father, for the sake of the world. The heart of missions is a testimony being given. 
What is this testimony? It is a living proclamation of the truth of Jesus Christ. It's a living proclamation. It's your life laid down for a person, the person of Christ, to make him known. And it's through suffering that the gospel power goes forth. Persecution bears witness to the, via, via, uh, the val validity of our claim. The world knows we truly believe something when we're willing to endure the persecution for the sake of it. Testimony never shines brighter than faced with suffering. And our testimony must go forth, but it will cost yourself. And it'll be for others. One important principle to remember in this battle that we should never forget is this. That those who are persecuting us are not the enemy. They are the mission field. The ones persecuting us, they're not the enemy. Don't sit around and go, oh, I can't believe the injustice. Ha. My friends, they're only responding the way sinners respond according to our gospel. They are not the enemy. They're the mission field. And we are living for the sake of the testimony laid before them. Which brings us to the fourth part of this message. Now, the good thing is, is they gave me till one o'clock to preach. That's what's awesome. <laughs> so forgive me, I will go just a few minutes over. You guys cheated me, now I'm cheating. <laughs> I'll try and be sensitive. But here's the fourth part of the message, the advised reaction to the persecution. The advised reaction to the persecution. Throughout this section, Jesus advised five ways he wants his disciples, his followers to respond. And it's really good for us to note that Jesus is always there providing amazing care. And every time he sends out people into the world, he gives the same words. I will be with you always. I am there. Don't worry, I'm there. Don't worry, I'm there. Don't worry. Don't ever forget that. But it doesn't exempt us from taking personal responsibility over how we act. I think many of our trials are self-imposed. Very few are imposed as a result of quote-unquote persecution. And you have a responsibility and it's for this reason we are given five pieces of advice. Are we ready? Advice number one is this. Be shrewd as serpents. Or be smart as serpents. The ancient world 
a serpent was symbolized wisdom. A serpent was seen as being shrewd, smart, cunning, and cautious. And here we are called to emulate the serpent. We are to be shrewd. We are to be cunning in our dealings with the unbelieving world around us. The basic idea of this is that we are to say the right thing at the right time and place. We're to have good manners and appropriateness. And, try, and what we're to do, we're to try to figure out what is the best means to achieve the highest goal. One preacher said it is neither wise nor loving to be needlessly accusatory or inflammatory. When the Pharisees attempt to trap Jesus into defending or condemning the Roman government, they asked him about paying taxes to Caesars. He didn't take the occasion to vilify Caesar or the Roman government. Vile, debatched, unjust, and ungodly as they were. Nor did he condone their wickedness. He replied simply, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. It is neither brave nor wise and neither spiritual nor loving to needlessly incite anger or court trouble. I think that that is wonderful advice. Sometimes I, because all of this injustice, well, how do you expect the world to be? Of course it's going to be unjust. Do we go out there and start shooting the government and, and start slandering them? No way, no way. Not smart, not wise. I'm not telling you how to behave. I just want to give you the biblical principles set forth. And I, and I think that sometimes we equate boldness in our faith with stupidness or abusiveness. But according to Jesus, boldness does not run out wildly or emotionally and attack those opposing us. He rather sits back and thinks and calculates what is the wisest and best move. Paul advises, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity. Listen to me, I, I'm not interested in getting involved in the politics and all of those types of things. I'm not interested in it. I want to give you the wisdom so that you can appropriate the wisdom that Christ gave in your day-to-day -day lives. And some of you, you think, well, I got to stand against this or I got to stand. Well, wait, pause. Hear the wisdom of Christ. Act wise as a, be wise. The second piece of advice is given to us in verse 16 as well. Be harmless or innocent as doves. Pure. Dove represents purity and innocence. I believe what he's referring to is not only be wise, but be righteous in your behavior. Let your lifestyle be defined as righteousness. When you, when you avoid negative attitude, avoid ungodly approaches 
positive attitudes of purity, godly wisdom has no part in anything that is impure, no part in deceitful or defiling ungodly behavior. We don't play by the same rules. We're not leading a revolt. We're leaving a what? Testimony. So how we respond in those moments, it doesn't become about you. How can I leave the aroma of Christ on this situation? We have no idea what God's doing in their hearts. We love our enemies and we do good to those who hate us. Like Jesus, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to calm others down. 1 Corinthians 4, 12 to 13. We must represent our message as Paul did. We don't come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. Our behavior must validate our truth not invalidate our truth. We must live in a manner worthy of the the calling or gospel because the Bible says both. There's a third piece of advice that's given and this is really helpful to us. You guys, we can start off right and we end wrong because we allow our flesh to get incited and we go off and let, be led by our flesh instead of by God and the spirit of God and the word of God governing and guiding us. So watch out for yourself as I watch out for myself. The third piece of advice given to us is in verse 17. He commands them, you must be watchful. You must be watchful. I hope this is all helpful for us. Men, especially, mankind, especially mankind, are not nice. We must understand that they're not nice. They're not kind. These are Satan's agents. They're not for your good, they're for your destruction. And so he commands literally be on guard, be watchful, be perceptive. Jesus is calling them to understand the nature of these men and be proactive to guard yourself against what might happen. Understand this. It's amazing tension. We're commanded to go. We're not commanded to not go. We're not commanded to retreat. We're commanded to go, but as we go, we're to be what? Watchful. We're going with our eyes open. We're going mindful. Matthew 7, 6, Jesus tells his disciples not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Be wise with those who you address with the truth. Some will want it, others won't and will attack you. Beware, know the nature of those you're going to minister. Let me say a, a caveat at this point. 
I look at the ministry of John the Baptist. Wise as a serpent? Probably not. He went to a sinful man and basically told him, you're in sin. And some people have that calling. I have a brother who stands up against abortion and the guy is crazy, far crazier than me moving to Africa. I'm proud of him. <laughs> That's his calling. He feels a sense of calling, but he also needs to know that it might cost him his head. At least know what you're going into so you can be wise as you assess the situation. God rises prophets up who are just to say something against the system. However, the wisdom that's given here is be careful, be on the alert, be watchful. The fourth piece of advice that's given here is do not worry. Do not worry, verse 19, do not worry. And, and, and this is incredible. You are to be sheep Going to the midst of ravenous wolves, ravenous wolves, but you're not to what? <laughs> what in the world? Don't worry. Why? Rest in God. Rest in his provision. Rest in his character. Don't abandon, he, he won't abandon you in the critical hour. He will fill you in that hour. He'll give you the needed words. He'll give you the needed rest. He'll make you shine in that moment because he's with you always. God will take us through the wilderness, but he'll protect us the whole entire way because it's in that wilderness his provision and his love and his grace is most evident. You learn to love the wilderness because it's where you feel closest to God. You don't need to worry. You need to know what Psalm 23 says that the Lord is our shepherd. I shall not what? He'll lead me through the valley of the shadow of death and I have no fear because he's with me. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies and surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. I don't need to worry. I need to rest. I need to enjoy God along the mission. Here is the last piece of advice and I think this is so helpful as well. And that is flee to the next city flee to the next city. When persecution becomes so severe in one place and they no longer want the truth, you can no longer minister effectively. Leave it and go to the next what? City. Brothers and sisters, our mission is not a suicide mission. We're not going into the middle of Iraq and screaming Jesus Christ will save you in the streets. Persecution is never to be sought or just endured for the sake of itself. It's not a badge we wear that we're just seeking to put on.
We're going to be wise. And if the persecution is so severe and God has broke, stopped the mission, it's okay to flee to the next city. We're not called to be afraid, but we're not called to be unwise either. And when we look at the church's advancement, you realize that Paul is persecuted here, it pushes him here, and it's here where the name of Christ goes forth. It's here where, where all of a sudden the movement of God takes place in a way that we could have never imagined. And you look back and this was just merely the preparation ground for here. I moved to Africa with my family. My son, this kid right here, was three months old. The, my daughter was six years old. We for three years served the Lord in one place and it was a shut down door. He moved us to another place and it became just a field under white, under harvest. This is God's moving. We don't need to worry. Pick up their bags. Move to the next city. Persecution has often been used by God's hand to bring you where he wants you. And praise God I'm in Kuba Mitwe. Here is Jesus' instructions, and I trust that they're helpful for you as you process. I'd encourage you to write them down in your Bible and process your own decision-making. Pray through it and let God lead you through it, which brings me to the last part of this message, and that is the end result of persecution, the end result of persecution. Jesus finishes his instructions regarding the nature and reaction of the apostles' mission by providing an amazing promise. Look with me in verse 22. He says this. You will be hated all for my sake, but the one who endures to the end will be everyone saved. The end of persecution is salvation. It's glory. I just read in Matthew 17, the apostles, a few apostles get a taste of glory. You know what they say, man, it is good to be here. That's what we get in the end. The satisfying joy of residing in the presence of our master. Paul said in Romans 8, 17, 8, 18 that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory which is to be revealed. Persecution will actually prove those who are his and those who are not his. Matthew 13, 21 basically shows that we can, people can sprout up, but when persecution comes, those who are not truly his, they die off. But those who are truly his, they endure through it and stand holding on to the promises of God and his word. Those who truly belong to our master endure through all the pains of persecution because they're held by God's love. I love what he says in Jude. Those who are called by God are beloved and those whom he beloves, he keeps. 
My brothers and sisters, we are living in crazy times and you have a mission. Your mission is to proclaim his excellency. Let me say this as I end. I went into a small little village. Everybody was doing what's right in their own eyes. They went with one simple message. There is a king. His way is the best. I believe with all my heart that you want your greatest joy. Do things his way. Do things his way. Follow the king. You want a good marriage? Love your wife as Christ loved? Come on, man. If you have a bad marriage, start there, all right? Well, ladies, you need to come under the leadership of your husband and respect him. Just do it God's way. <clears throat> and you'll find joy as a result of this simple message. Right there in the middle of East Africa, you have a community that's absolutely transformed. And you know what? They went from pain, sorrow, strife, and all that sin promises to love, joy, peace, unity by doing, following the king. My dear friends, our friends right around here, they're living after pleasure, they're living after sin, and it doesn't pay. They need to be reminded of a message. The message that there is a, and his way is the, for their joy, go out and leave that testimony everywhere you go. But follow these instructions. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we come now thankful for the joy that we get in knowing the king of the universe. I pray that my brothers and sisters here will live mindful of you, that they'd even hear you now communicating this instruction as they go out in the midst of the wolves now. Father, will you help them to be wise as serpents, pure or righteous as a dove? May they not worry but may they go out and proclaim the sweetness of who you are everywhere, knowing that in the end is what we've been longing for, peace with you. Father, and I want to pray for those that don't know you, those who don't live on a mission. They don't live after your supremacy. They are characterized by those who love the world. I want to pray that you would show them their sin now, and call them to yourself. Help them look at their attitudes. Help them look within their own hearts. Show them how they respond to others, whether it's your way or not your way. Show them their attitudes. Show them their inward expressions, whether in obedience to your majesty or not. Please show them that. And those who are not right with you, may you cause repentance of heart and a restoration to you, a reconciliation where they are saved by the righteousness of your son, that they may live eternity in your presence. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. May your blessing be upon Foothill Bible and may your name go forth from this place for the praise of your name we pray, amen.